Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who've experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week we are still talking about ghosting. We're on ghosting part two um, and I am joined again by Ella and Jordan. We're continuing the conversation from last week. So once again my name is Emily Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. So with me today, I still have Ella Shepard. <laughs> Ella uses she, her pronouns and is a licensed mental health counselor and founder of Endeavors Counseling and Community Yoga and Dance, a virtual space for movement. Ella loves working with youth and teens and uses movement and breath to assist herself and clients through big emotions and stress. Ella is also a 200-hour certified yoga teacher. So Ella, thank you again for being on and continuing the conversation about ghosting. Thanks for having me back. And I also have returning Jordan Steckler. So Jordan uses she, her pronouns and is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. She earned her master's in clinical mental health counseling from the University of Central Florida. Jordan currently works with adolescents and adults on a variety of concerns, including depression, anxiety, stress, trauma, and grief. Jordan is also a 200-hour certified yoga teacher. So Jordan, thank you for still sticking around and coming back <laughs> to talk about uh, ghosting with us today. Thanks, Emily. Happy to be here. I'm really excited to continue this conversation. Last week, we were talking a lot about like defining ghosting, what it looks like. Um, we started diving into how it can have effects on the ghoster and the ghosted. And we also talked a little bit about attachment styles, which was a very fascinating subject. But this week, we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, the closure, like the idea of closure, how that kind of comes into play, kind of um, maybe some stories of clients um, remaining confidential, of course, um, and what helped them heal and then we'll talk a little bit about um, how, you know, we can heal from it and help support a loved one who may have experienced ghosting or may um, is finding themselves being the ghoster and maybe are looking for support as well. So with that, just wanted to dive right back into the conversation. Um, how does the concept of closure come into play when it comes to ghosting? I think about closure and it's such like a big topic, like what, whether it's ghosting or anything, I think like a breakup, um, someone passes away, like everyone's looking for some kind of closure and like final moment of like, this is over. 
this emotional pain is done and I'm like ready to move on. And I think no matter what the situation is, including ghosting, closure, there's no right way to do it. There's no, there are no steps to take. And I don't know if there will be like a final moment. I think some people might experience that. I know I'm not, I'm not one of them. I think it's a slow, gradual process and for everyone, it's going to look different. I think closure could also be the, just the feeling of peace or acceptance with what the situation is. Um, so it might not be even something that happens outside of you, but just an internal place that you get to through whatever your process is where um, you feel at peace. Absolutely. And I, I guess I should also define for those who didn't do the part one of the ghosting, which if you haven't, you definitely should listen to it uh, just for some framework. But essentially ghosting is, you know, just cutting off communication with another person, even though there was an expectation from what I remember as defining um, of the conversation or the communication to continue whatever relationship it is in a intimate partner, you know, context, friendship context, family member context, there's this expectation that communication would continue, but ghosting is when that's completely cut off and maybe they come back, but we're not sure. And I think that that's the anxiety part of it. Um, yeah. But essentially it makes sense why closure would be really difficult for people who, who um, a relationship ends abruptly. And I wonder if, does this come up a lot with your clients that you've worked with? Yeah, I think there's, like we've talked about, there's a lot of grief involved. And I love how Ella had said it in this like form of problem solving communication. Um, there's a lot of like grief and pain and uncertainty and anxiety because there is, a, people could say like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever hear from them again, like ever, never. That's a really long time. Like we don't, we don't know until like after the fact. And then that's like a really long time. So I think people get kind of stuck in that loop of that uncertainty and anxiety. Yeah. And I think it goes back to like what you can control and what you can't control too. Right. Yeah. We were talking, um, in the last episode about, um, whether this is something new, a new phenomena, or if it's been going on for a long time. And I think that, um, well, ghosting has probably always been a thing. We might just not have called it that. The casualness of relationships might be a new factor that is sort of like, um, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about like online, how you are, you know, like we shop online and you put things in your cart, but then like, sometimes I'll have an outrageous cart and I'm like, I know I'm not buying all this stuff, but I just, kind of like it in my car, you know? And I think that we sometimes might do have similar behaviors with relationships where we're like, oh, I'm just going to kind of circulate this person in my atmosphere for a little while and like have them in my virtual shopping cart in terms of like maybe, but then you don't check out, but then instead of remove, you know, I don't know if this is a horrible analogy, Jordan, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to read your expression, but I, I think that there is this nature of, um, of casualness to the way we interact with humans, because we're interacting with humans in a similar format that we do to like clothes and shirts and stuff. So it, it sort of brings this like ickiness that people or relationships are in some way disposable or, um, that they don't 
they don't warrant um, the closure that they deserve. Um, you know, Jordan was mentioning in the last sec um, section or, or maybe Emily, you said it too about if you don't reply for a long period of time, it's still really courteous and, and nice to, to reply and say, hey, I'm at my capacity. Can you message me the same thing in like a week or two? I just can't, I can't respond to it right now. And I think that some level of something like that which would be so kind, but it's just, it's not always possible and it's not always reasonable to expect. I think that yeah. what you were talking about, like kind of this idea of like back burner relationships or something mm -hmm. like maybe a need isn't being met in a relationship currently. And so they kind of go back to their shopping cart, maybe like you were talking about. And that's yeah. Just, yeah. I helpful. love that you brought it back to needs. And I was making a face because part of me was like, yes, totally. And then I was like looking at my dog because she was she was Aww. doing something funny. So I was Aww. like listening and then looking at her. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I love that that there is like that casualness. And I think it is about needs. Like, oh, my need isn't being met by like my main circle of friends or like by this person I am seeing or whatever. So I'm gonna go back to like my acquaintances. Um, and like, you know, check in, I'm trying to get some kind of need, need met, even if it's like, hi, hello, or anything. So then that acquaintance might, might get excited or something like, oh, like this friend I haven't talked to in forever has reached out, maybe we're going to reconnect. And kind of like I was saying in the last episode, we might, we might build a story like, oh, we're going to reconnect and like, we'll talk about all these things. It'll have the, and all this stuff will happen. I'm so excited. And this other person had totally different expectations. And then I was thinking about casualness and like the social contract. I think I'd mentioned something like that before, like disappearing. And maybe it is, maybe it is like the social contract. I don't know. Maybe that is okay. And maybe for some people it's, it's not, I just kind of thought of that too. And that was like a half big thought. No, I get what you mean. Cause I think that there's, um, there's different relationships in our lives. And of course y'all can like jump in and be like, Emily, you're wrong. Get out of here. That's fine. But in my opinion, there's, I think like there's, you know, there's your certain circles and they meet different needs and that's totally fine. But I think um, when perhaps there's this lack of communicating of expectations of communication is when maybe that gets kind of difficult and some hurt kind of happens, right? Where, um, yeah, you reacted. So go ahead. I, I often show clients um, the circles of intimacy and it's just like a good diagram. And I think if, if two friends were to have this map of the circles of intimacy and, you know, you and yourself are in the middle and then your closest, your closest friends, family, people who know you the deepest are right outside that circle. And it kind of keeps going. And then maybe coworkers or people that you happen to run into at the grocery store would be on the very outer rings of this circle of intimacy. Sometimes what might happen, like Jordan said, is, okay, we're we're starting this communication and my expectation or my hope is that you'll be at this level of intimacy with me. And then maybe the other person is like, Oh, I was thinking you would kind of like orbit in the outside ring. And we would just, you know, like casually get lunch every once in a while, but you're like, I was hoping you would be my best friend. I'm like what? So I think that can be helpful, you know, to have that language of, um, and I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's nerdy language, but like, in what level of intimacy are you hoping that our relationship goes to? What's coming up for me is 
connected to what you said now. And I think earlier about just like kind of communicating, even communicating like, Hey, I'm really exhausted right now. Like I'm going to reply like when I can, like maybe you give a time for maybe you don't just like this lack of communication on like the most basic things that maybe people think like, Oh, it's too basic to say or, or something, but yeah, like why not communicate like, Hey, I'm not emotionally ready to talk or like, or maybe you, um, someone wants to give you feedback on something, but you need to say like, Hey, like I want to receive your feedback and like, I need to eat breakfast first without food. I can't take in what you're saying with a clear head. Just like those basic things that I don't know. I keep saying the word basic, but just those things that I think if they happen there, some, I think some situations and experiences might go more smoothly. I think you're talking about boundaries a little bit. Um, we're probably setting, you know, um, which help with expectations of like, this is how to communicate with me. This is how to love me. And this is, um, my needs that I need. Um, just like literally food needs that you were talking about Jordan, which I think is really relatable, but also, you know, kind of setting a boundary of like, Hey, right now is not a great time. And maybe, you know, we were talking about how like ghosting can be a passive, passive way, right. To, get our needs met. It's almost like a very extreme boundary that someone is setting, but not communicating. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this is my pattern, my, um, what, what, what did we call it? problem solving, um, tool yeah. Yeah. Of kind of having more of a conversation with someone about it. Right. So the person on the receiving end could see it as a boundary violation while the person disappearing is like, this is my hard boundary of no communication. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, before we get kind of a little too deeper into that, I wanted to first bring up this, you know, you're talking about like the levels, uh, circles of intimacy. Um, And within that, we have all different kinds of relationships, it sounds like, but there's also that client counselor relationship. And I remember when we were talking about this podcast, Ella, you wanted to talk a little bit about how you communicate this concept of ghosting with your clients. I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So in my first um, session with new clients, I go over informed consent. And as part of that, I talk about the um, counselor ethics. We have ethical guidelines that we follow. And one of them is non-abandonment. So I let my clients know I am not allowed to abandon you. And what that looks like is if you stop attending session and you stop communicating with me, I have an ethical duty to reach out to you at least three times. And you have no obligation at all to communicate with me or to tell me you want to stop coming or anything, but I do have a duty to reach out to you. So I give my clients full permission to ghost me. I tell them that they are allowed to exit the relationship, the counseling relationship at any time with explanation, with no explanation, with warning, with no warning, whatever they choose, they're in charge of their participation and they get to decide when to not participate anymore. And as a counselor and a professional, it's my duty to not take that personally And sometimes that's hard. You know, I always hope that a client will um, let me know and will feel comfortable enough to communicate when they're exiting the counseling relationship. But I also work really hard to understand that that might not always be the case. And I want to make sure my clients know, especially because 
as a person providing them with a service, there's a power differential in that I'm the therapist and they're the counselor. And so I wouldn't want to put any undue pressure on um, them that they owe me something as the counselor um, because they don't and they are allowed to leave whenever they want. I love that very clear communication Um, and right at the get-go too. I think that that's a great Mm -hmm. way to form a foundation of trust and also respect and very safe. I feel very safe then. I'm like, okay, wow. Mm -hmm. Like I could, I can kind of, if I were in that client's shoes, I feel like there'd be a burden kind of lifted off, be a little less heavy for whatever reason, starting this conversation um, as they kind of move forward. I agree. Like I feel reassured by what you said, like if I were to be on the receiving end Mm. of that. And I wonder then if people might feel more at ease to communicate to you when they're uncomfortable or like when they want to exit. So kind of like speaking of the thing. Yeah, that's really great feedback. And I appreciate hearing how it lands on both of you. Um, I think especially because I work with in adolescence a lot um, and, and I want to, emphasize like even though your parents are consenting legally for you to be here you can also decide not to come and and your parents can drive you here and you don't have to you know you don't have to sit in the chair you don't have to show up you don't have to talk um so I want to redistribute the power kind of I guess and um just make sure that it's clear um my expectations are clear yeah, what a what a like model of like healthy communication though to like start off. Um, and why can you know another concept of like closure, kind of going back to that a little bit. Um, why can lack of closure be particularly difficult for some on their healing journey, specifically for like survivors of violence or sexual violence? Kind of going back to how this concept of closure can be really difficult. I think to overcome, especially if you can't communicate with the person that ended the relationship abruptly. Um, how can this be particularly difficult for individuals who have gone through trauma? Like that's such a complex question. So I'm just going to go with like what first comes to my mind. Cause I think there are so many layers to it. Um, one thing I think of, so a survivor of trauma and let's go with like the first thing I think of is like intimate partner violence. Um, and then, you know, they, they are able to leave and es- like escape, leave that relationship. There may not even be closure in that. Like they, they left, they're out, they're hopefully safer. And, and they think they, and maybe they think that's it. They're done. Like it's over. And the trauma of it happened. It's over. However, the, the possible PTSD and like trauma responses and symptoms, like those might come in next. So then the thing may not feel finished and over. And then there's a whole that that's, and that's that healing journey. So then maybe you add in, you know, sometime later they decide to, maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's a friendship and they form a new friend and they get really close. But then that friend, you know, for every reason, like Ella said, their needs aren't being met. They're going to be, they may be met somewhere else and that friend disappears. So then here's another thing where a person disappeared on them And then maybe in that DV situation, they were getting to know somebody who then changed and became a totally different person. So I know I'm going kind of going in like a different direction, but like there's a loss of the person who they thought they knew. 
And then meeting somebody kind of new who's not very kind, they leave that situation. They meet another, like a friend who they think they can trust and bond with, and they're getting close. And then that friend leaves. So there's just a lot of grief and pain compounded on that. So closure might seem impossible because now not only you, maybe you have like new, if we're talking about like symptoms, emotion and pain, depression and anxiety on top of like the trauma response from the initial pain. Like that's just, that's a lot. Yeah. It sounds like, so when people talk about like post-traumatic stress, um, the stress has to be over for it to be post-traumatic and in attachment wounds, it sounds like what you're describing, Jordan, is like in order for a wound to heal, the injury has to be over. And if there's new relationships happening often um, and multiple relationships at the same time, whether it be multiple intimate partner relationships, multiple friendships or relationships with coworkers and whatever, you know, all those different levels of intimacy. Um, if there's, if it's coinciding and the, the injury isn't over. So the healing can't really happen until the injury is over. I love that you said it that way. That is so true. Like, yeah. And maybe that, and that's like the hard part of diagnosing. I think even like, even when I was like consulting with a supervisor and I was saying, Oh, I think they have PTSD. And my supervisor said, well, look, their trauma is not over. And part of me is like, oh, that's a little subjective. And then I was like, well, I guess, you know, per the strict diagnosis and like the um, criteria you have to meet, like, yeah, the, the trauma or whatever it was, like, wasn't over. And we experienced, so that maybe that's why we have the phrase trauma responses, because it, we're going to be reacting and responding to painful things while it's happening and after it's happening and years later. So yeah, like, it's just so compounded. And that wound, that injury, like, is that ever healed? Or is it just, does it get better over time? And I, even that phrase, better over time, I think people are like, oh, like kind of like time will like make it better. And maybe there's some distance and there has to be, or there can be like that intentional work to heal. Yeah. I think that this is kind of this idea of like being stuck a little bit, like, Mm -hmm. oh, because you said something about how, you know, that concept of closure and not being able to like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it because I have to rely on maybe in their mind, they, they have an idea of what closure looks like, where it involves this other person, either maybe them sharing their feelings with that person, or at least feeling heard, like you hurt me and, and I want you to hear it. And that's closure for me or something like that. And, and maybe they're just not able to get that. And then that feeling of stuck. And also, um, I appreciate what you also were saying, Ella, that, and I just want to reiterate the fact that like, the, the wound is still there. It's not post, right? Um, one of the, one of the signs that we see it, you know, after someone has gone through a trauma, um, that they may are having difficulty, like, um, healing from it is difficulty forming close and satisfying relationships. So it makes a lot of sense why a sense of closure can be even more important, um, depending on the situation, of course. So the way you phrase that made me think of something else. Um, and I forgot exactly how you phrased it, but being in a painful situation. So then later it's hard to form satisfying and fulfilling relationships. That could also be the explanation for why someone leaves for why someone ghosts. And, and yeah, that's mm-hmm. why they ghost, um, whether, so I think we we're going to talk about like ghosting and DV, but I, I was really, I, what I really meant was like just kind of ghosting in just kind of like a non-harmful situation. They might just disappear because they were like, oh, 
this is a lot. I experienced something painful and this feels like that. I have to leave. Right. And then like going back to our first episode, which is like people typically can do both ghosting and be ghosted as well. And actually people who ghost might put themselves at risk for being ghosted themselves because of this inability to like communicate needs and in a way that um, might be healthier in the sense of getting their needs met in a, you know, more fulfilling way or, or more stagnant, stable way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that, you know, getting back to kind of this concept of closure and, and I think that also there can be like this power kind of, you know, as well in the sense that um, maybe a survivor or anyone might feel like I need the person who ghosted me to help me get a sense of closure. They're obviously not going to give it to me. So I'm stuck and kind of this power struggle here. Um, So how can someone who experiences ghosting get a sense of closure without being able to talk to the ghoster? How can they heal in like an empowering sense and kind of like from within Um, or alternatively, have you ever had a client who had trouble moving forward without the sense of closure that they felt that they needed and how were they able to overcome this? Yeah, I like to ask. um, So if if there's a desire to talk to the ghoster, um, what usually there's like a, a hope, right? A hope there that you might hear something or that they might confirm or deny something that you are thinking or fearing. And so I would encourage the client or anyone who's in that position to come up with, I don't know, like three to five things that you might hope that the ghoster would say, if you did have the chance to talk with them. And in this scenario, it sounds like we don't have the chance or the client doesn't have the chance to talk to them, or we can't, we can't guarantee what the ghoster is going to do or if they're going to communicate again. So I would just like, what would be helpful in, in healing for you to imagine that the ghoster might say, you know, and come up with like three to five possibilities. Um, and some of them might be like doom and gloom in the beginning. They might be those negative core beliefs coming up, but then do a few more and see what might be possible and um, see if any of those might bring a little bit of comfort. Do you ever ask your clients like, what closure means to them in the sense of like, you know, what, what are you hoping to gain from this interaction with this person that you can't get? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I have a client's uh, situation. It wasn't ghosting, um, but still, still similar where the, she found out her partner um, was cheating on her at the end of the relationship. And she kept saying she wanted closure and that she wanted to talk to him and hash it out with him. And I think at the time it just wasn't, it wasn't entirely possible. So I just kept asking like, what does closure mean to you? What does it feel like, look like, sound like, is any of this something that you can do for yourself on your own? Like, what if this person can't give or say the things you need from them? Do you think that a lot of times closure is kind of a, kind of a solo activity? almost, you know, like kind of like Uh, forgiveness almost where it's like, it's kind of about your experience mm -hmm. and maybe not this other person. Yeah. I I think it's similar to the difference between loneliness and solitude, right? Like 
there's peace and solitude and there's angst or longing and loneliness. So with closure, um, nothing really circumstantially is different besides you feeling a different way about the situation. Oh, I was also thinking that I think some people forgiveness and closure could be the word that's coming up for me could be judgments. Like, Oh, you, I should feel better about this by now. Um, I should have forgiven this person or forgiven myself. Um, this thing should be over. So that's what was kind of coming up for me too. Just going back to, there's no right or wrong way to do this. And yeah, I think it, I think it can be more of an internal, but that's also my bias. Cause I know I work with some people who look for external, maybe higher power. Um, like, the word feedback is coming to my mind on, on like when this is over or when this is done or when I can move on or when, et cetera. So it's a very interesting concept. And I think it's not, it's not going to be the same for everybody. Totally. I appreciate that you brought that, that piece to it too, Jordan, because we talk a lot about like, you know, faith and, and whatever spirituality too. And that could be part of someone's healing journey as well. And definitely don't want to, you know, um, undermine that. And I think it's also kind of coming to like, I wonder if there can be a little bit of anxiety with closure too. Like, you know, is it like, okay, well now I'm officially like accepting that this is the way this relationship has ended. Yeah. It's like that radical acceptance piece, which I, I personally struggle with. I think a lot of people are able to accept situations as is, and shout out to those who struggle with that. Cause that's really hard to accept a situation just as it is like this person's not in my life or this event happened or this thing at work is happening the way it is. It's so hard sometimes to accept things as is maybe when you see other possibilities or, or when needs aren't being met in the situation that you're trying to accept. Yeah, absolutely. And always like want to mention too, that you were, you were, while you were talking Jordan about like, maybe I should be over this by now, quote unquote. Um, just again, reiterate that there's no timeline to healing. Um, absolutely. And it's, you know, not linear. Like I say, every time I sign off, but what do I mean by that? Meaning like there'll be days that, you know, you might feel a more hurt today and that's okay. It's, that doesn't mean you didn't yeah. heal. Yeah. Right. It's like a ball of yarn. That's how I think about healing and grief. It's like a ball of yarn. It's not a straight line. It's a tingle. And there are going to be days that are a little bit better, but painful, a little bit better, not painful or a lot worse. Sure. Absolutely. I love all these uh, metaphors that we're we're coming up with. Um, So you talked about an experience of a client, but it wasn't a ghosting experience. I wanted to pause for a little bit and see if y'all had ever had a story of a client who experienced ghosting itself and what did you find helped them heal the most or what was helpful to them? So, yeah, um, I, I worked with somebody who, or had someone kind of talk to me about like being ghosted and it was a couple of weeks into communication and they disappeared. Um, so the person who was ghosted was dealing with like a lot of things we've talked about. I'm just kind of wondering like what happened? I don't understand and processing that a person's actions is not a reflection on them. And that's such a huge piece. Like it's, it's really, especially, especially when we're, where we're raised or where we are, we're told like, Oh, you made me feel this way. Or there's some kind of responsibility piece that's kind of being put on this other person for another person's feelings. 
So when a person disappears, it's like, oh, I must have done something. So that's like a P I think one of the, one of the pieces to work through and to understand that kind of like um, from the four agreements, I think it's related to the four agreements. I'm also thinking of projection where not to take things personally, like people are going to do things and act and react in their own way. And Mm -hmm. it's not a reflection on the other person who's, who's maybe witnessing or on the receiving end. And you mentioned the, did you say the four agreements? Yes. I can't remember all four right now, but there are four and it's a book. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And is it in relation to like relationships in general or with client relationships and their I think it's any kind of relationship and communication. Um, it's it's a lot more general. It's not about therapy specifically. And I think a lot of therapists might reference it. Okay, that makes sense. I will look that up. That sounds really- It's like gentle guidelines for good life is, is how I would summarize it. Yeah, it's yeah just like or like wholehearted living. Of- yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like life lessons kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that piece is super important always to know that um, people are really complicated and um, you know especially in a domestic violence situation too this concept of like you don't cause someone to um, to harm you yeah exactly Um, and so I think that 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 rumination piece it can be can feel really you know um, stuck and can definitely feel like like a helpless situation. So I'm really glad that, you know, through like therapy and, and self-reflection, we, you know, getting out of that kind of mentality um, and moving forward, whatever that looks like to that person. Um, and speaking of, you know, intimate partner violence, I know sometimes survivors of intimate partner violence or DV or domestic violence may have to go someone or feel like they have to go someone in order to feel safe. In fact, we know through research that the time when people try to leave an abusive relationship is actually one of the most dangerous times for them. Another dangerous time can be when survivors are pregnant. Um, So do you think society actually pressures people into feeling obligated to have the breakup conversation when it could actually be dangerous for someone? My first thought is yes. I think there is some kind of, or there can be, I think it can vary. My first thought is yes, that there can be some kind of pressure to like, oh, like communicate. And like, especially if people on the outside aren't aware that this is an unhealthy, unsafe relationship. And maybe a friend is, they're confiding in a friend and they might be surprised or like, oh, you at least owe them a conversation. And I think it's something about what Ella had said. That's why I feel like I'm referencing her. Like you don't, like I'm thinking about the counselor client relationship, like you don't owe an explanation, especially when it's unsafe and needs are definitely not getting met in this relationship and it's really unsafe and it's harmful. I think even the way that, you know, we've been talking about it in this, um, in this podcast and part one and now it's sort of like, there's a little bit of a bias that we're expressing that like, it's the right thing to do to let someone know you don't want to be in a relationship with them anymore. Right. Like, I think we've all like, that's been a little bit of an undertone. And so I think we've absorbed that from our, our culture, from our world and um, probably people in unsafe situations have also absorbed that. And so um, 
it's definitely a case by case scenario. And um, like you said, statistically, it's the time where people are the most unsafe. If they're in a, a situation, an intimate partner violent situation, um, escaping requires less communicating or no communicating about the fact that they're leaving the relationship. Yeah, I really appreciate you brought that up, Ella, because I was thinking that mm-hmm. exact thing where I was like, you know, I wonder if we're kind of talking about mm-hmm. it too, in the sense that kind of bias piece to it. And I think that um, that's why I really wanted to bring this into it, because I was afraid that that's the direction I would accidentally go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, I do too. Yeah, everyone has, um, you know, needs to take care of themselves the way that they need to take care of themselves. I think that the difference maybe if, um, if I may say so, is that, you know, what are your goals too? And knowing kind of like, what are some stable goals that you're looking for? And if your communication or problem solving tactics aren't aligning to that and they involve ghosting and you have expressed a desire to form relationships that don't involve this, then perhaps we can kind of dive into what else can we do um, as far as communicating perhaps. And even, I love how you said that because even that, that's really more inner dialogue and maybe isn't owed to the other person. Um, And maybe unless, unless Mm -hmm. they choose to, and even then it's not owed, they just choose to share. But yeah, I love how you kind of brought that back to what we were talking about last time. Like when you're gaining the insight that maybe you're acting in a way that you're not proud of, think about what your values are. And if how you're acting doesn't align with it, then it's up to you to decide and think about it, reflect, and then make the choice to do something different. And that's, you're not obligated to share that with anybody. Yeah. And how empowering is that? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love going back to, again, and within the context of, but you don't owe anyone anything. This is really about what, what are your goals and what are you looking for? Um, So I think we kind of addressed this other question that I had, which is when is ghosting a hurtful and unhealthy problem solving tactic? And when do you think it could be necessary? I think we kind of uh, delved into that. Um, So some people who are listening to this may have realized that they were ghosted. Um, So they may have like reflected me like, oh my gosh, that person never responded. I think that I was ghosted. Um, What would you say to them? I would want to encourage them to look at how they got through it and give themselves some credit because my guess is they're, they're hopefully okay. I hope they're doing well. Um, in the scenario you just described, Emily, it sounds like time had passed and maybe they didn't realize, but um, just to do a little bit of investigative journalism and to like, how did I get through that? Oh, that's right. I ate a lot of ice cream and then I met with some friends and I started, you know, taking a walk and I don't know, whatever it is that they did. Um, and forgive the ice cream thing. I feel like that's such a typical, (laughs) um, response to, uh, being rejected or having a breakup. (laughs) Right. Well, I love how you added multiple things. Like you said, ice cream and socializing and take a walk. That's very well-rounded. I think maybe, maybe replace ice cream with something else. Maybe it's a different food group. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So just acknowledge whatever it was that you did that helped you get through. Yeah. Kind of having like the self-care plan. And I appreciate that a self-care plan doesn't have to be like, you know, you don't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel in the sense, like 
you know, reflecting on like, well, what worked in the past? I think that that's such mm-hmm. an empowering piece to it to be like, look, this is where you've come from. And this is like, this is what worked for you. And like, how can we add to it? Um, I love that. And I have a note here um, about the Venn diagram concept when it comes to relationships. And um, I actually forgot what, what this references to. So I'd love for y'all to, uh, to talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, I was waiting for you to reference that. So I think, I think this ties into so many things we were talking about, about like needs and expectations and projecting on each other and like, what are we responsible for? What's in our control? So I was talking about this with a friend and I think in any kind of relationship, romantic, professional, friendship, there are three parts. There's that cert- that part of the Venn diagram, that's you. The Venn- other part of the Venn diagram, that's the other person. And then what's shared in between. And what's shared in between is like the experiences you have with each other, um, what's shared between you. So, so bringing it back, because I was thinking about this in terms of ghosting. So let's say someone disappears and, you know, a lot of people I've we've said, we've, we've said this a lot. I've said it a lot. Like, Hey, what that person does is in a reflection on you. Another piece though, is, is this a reflection on your shared experiences? And maybe that's totally, I think that could be totally separate. I think when someone needs to walk away, disappear, cut off communication, change communication, Um, it reflects on them and their needs and what they need to get met. And it may not reflect on the shared experiences of the two of you. And it doesn't reflect, and it doesn't reflect on you as a person. So that responsibility piece we brought up a few times. That makes a whole lot of sense. And and I love that Venn diagram concept because I think there can be this kind of misconception that, you know, you are still you in a relationship. And so kind of understanding that you're allowed to be your own person and you are your own person and you have separate needs that this other person has. And then you also share certain things too, which is a very healthy relationship, no matter what relationship is. Yeah. It's you, the other person and the whatever ship is in between. Yeah. Whether it's a canoe, like, uh, like Ella was saying, yeah, or a raft or whatever, (laughs) whatever that ship may be. Um, and I think on the other side, some people who are listening, like, and we talked about this too, Ella, where you were like, maybe I have ghosted as well. Um, they may realize that they have been the ghoster in the past. Um, so what would you share as far as perhaps, communication strategies that more align with their kind of goals um, as far as how they can, you know, move more towards that instead of um, maybe jumping into whatever, um, maybe that flight flight response that isn't working for them and, and maintaining relationships that they're looking for, of course, provided that this is not an abusive or toxic relationship. The first thing I think of is about like internal dialogues, not even communicating with another person, but like internally, I think showing some kindness and compassion to yourself. Like when you're realizing like, oh, I've done this and we're starting to gain that insight of what's the pattern I'm kind of playing out. Where did that pattern come from? It probably stems from something or many, some things that were very painful. So I'm acting this out now to protect myself. So I think some compassion towards yourself on that piece. 
to then move forward to think about what we've been talking about. Like what, what do I really want? And is what I'm doing in alignment with what I want? I love that compassion element. I think that we definitely, there should be like no shame in how you react and respond and try to, you know, keep yourself safe and moving forward is what can be even more helpful for me um, as I move forward. Um, anything that you want to add to that, Ella? No, that was beautiful. I was initially thinking like more transparency and communication with the other person, but I totally think that um, the relationship with yourself first and to give yourself kindness and compassion and understanding and reflection is, is beautiful. Yeah. And as a final question, because I love this, um, how can you, you know, help support a friend or a loved one who has gone through this, you know, ghosting experience who maybe is having a hard time healing from it? And then alternatively, how can someone validate a friend who ghosted someone in order to safely leave a dangerous situation or a relationship? So I guess both sides to it, how can we help support the one who um, had been ghosted and then also on the flip side, validate someone who, who did the ghosting, but maybe, um, maybe it's feeling kind of pressures from society and invalidating that response that was helpful for them in that situation that I said a lot of words. So I apologize (laughs) (laughs) to keep with the, um, sort of theme and hope that people will feel empowered. Um, I like to ask the question to people that I'm trying to support, how can I support you? Um, what do you need right now? You know, so it's not going to be a one size fits all. And, you know, people are going to be at different places in their process. So I think a friend or family member supporting either party, the person who was ghosted or did the ghosting, um, you know, to just ask, how can I support you? What do you need? And that can help with that first piece that Jordan was talking about of, you know, looking in and reflecting and giving yourself some compassion. 100%. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And the only thing I want to add is uh, I think the supporters of these humans showing them compassion to like help encourage them to show them compassion themselves. So like saying like, be kind to yourself and take care of you in addition to how can I support you? I love that. You know, um, I'll just share a personal experience. When I um, went to therapy, like for the first time, uh, the therapist turned me and said, like, if you're not going to be an advocate for yourself, then I will be. And I was like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I love that. And I've, mm-hmm. I've used that line on so many of my friendships and my other relationships with people because yeah, I think that just reminding someone to be like, hey, you know, um, that negative talk, that self-defeatist talk that, you know, not self-defeatist, but negative talk maybe, or being just mean to yourself and just reminding like, hey, don't talk to my friend that way. <laughs> or just, yeah. just remind yourself, like, be kind to yourself. This is what's going on and, and validating their experiences and sitting in the pain again with them. Mm. I, I think that that could be really empowering. I, I thought of something. So, you know, we keep mentioning in our like credentials that we're yoga teachers. So something I was thinking of as a principle of yoga is like, I don't know the exact phrase, but I remember it as like, do no harm, which I think really, it really aligns to what we do as counselors. That's part of our ethics. 
Mm-hmm. And we do harm to ourselves when we think really harsh, critical thoughts towards ourselves. So I love that piece of advocating yeah, and to you know, your friend, to your client, right. whoever. And I think that going off of what, I forget if it was you, Jordan, you, Ella, um, if you advocate for yourself, I think it shows that other people can start advocating for themselves too. Um, mm, and so modeling. Like, yeah, modeling off of it. Absolutely. And then that just just helps with everyone. Um, so I think that's a beautiful kind of place to sign off. But before I do, is there anything else that you would like to bring up that we may not have mentioned previously? Anything you'd like to say to someone out there um, before we kind of sign off? I think just be kind to yourself. I love it. I love it. Be kind to yourself. So thank you so, so much uh, for you, uh, for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast, for listening to part two of this episode. Um, The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services to victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you so, so much, Jordan and Ella, for joining me today. Once again, thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. (laughs) Thank you so much.